Hello and welcome to Podcast on Fire. I'm Kenny B and this is my interview with Don Nyam. And I'll properly introduce him in our chat very shortly, but this is the man that added fun and memorable acting to Godfrey Ho's Cynthia Rothrock vehicle, Undefeatable, where he played a martial arts-able serial killer, Stingray. And he was kind enough to spend a little time with us, going over his background, how the making of Undefeatable went, and talking of gathering and evolving skills over a lifetime as a martial artist and businessman. Research uh, come from a variety of sources, but I want to here on the show primarily point out and plug and I'll subsequently link to Mike Fury's excellent interview with Don. For further contact information, go to podcastonfire.com. The social media links are at the top of the page in the form of the handy graphic buttons and relevant links uh, that are applicable uh, to this show are in the show post as well, as well as links to my writing over at sogoodreviews.com and so forth. So without further ado, here is my interview with Don Nyan. And this interview feeds into our love for director Godfrey Ho, for the movie Undefeatable, and the lasting, the long-lasting, free-for-all outrageousness of it all. And uh, we, it feeds into our love for its players, both behind the camera and in front of the camera. And I'm very pleased and honored to be talking to someone who aided the in-front-of-the-camera aspect of Undefeatable, and that was... Part and still is part of the long-lasting cult appeal that is this movie. And over the course of this chat, we'll get to know him better and get to know the fact that the cult movie acting isn't the only thing in his bag of tricks. And that's why actor, martial artist, teacher, fitness instructor Don Liam is a source of inspiration and admiration. And that's who I have with me today. So welcome, sir. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, Kenneth. And thanks for that nice intro and all the kind words. They're all well deserved. Uh, I, I I like people who um, try to evolve beyond their you know beyond their one one job that they want to add skills upon their. So uh, that's something I attach to you. And uh, you and I are visible to each other on social media, so we can we we can see that we both uh, trying our best to evolve. So uh, and I certainly see that in you. As long as we're heading forward and not backwards, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You, you can be tempted uh, as an interviewer to be to talk undefeatable off the bat, and we certainly will. But I like to start from the beginning as things things go. So let us do that very thing. So where did you grow up, Don? I uh, grew up in Akron, Ohio. Not a real big town. It was the uh, considered the rubber capital of the world, meaning the tire manufacturers were all there. Grew up in that type of industry, Goodyear, General Firestone. And then eventually they, you know, everywhere I think years ago, unions tended to keep wanting more. And a lot of these factories just started moving out. They just, and I think many of the rubber companies moved to Mexico initially. They haven't made tires there in Akron for several years but I'll tell you, it really cut down the pollution because when you used to, they were all in the same general vicinity. And when you drive out there, boy, you could really smell the pollution and not to get off track. But, uh, you know, we don't do much manufacturing anymore. And Cleveland, Ohio was even worse. 
And that's probably one of the benefits, although <clears throat> I don't think economy-wise it's great, but uh, cleaner air anyways. But I grew up in Akron. I went to school there. I graduated from Firestone High School. Originally went to St. Vincent's. It was a Catholic school. My family moved into another area and went to Firestone, which was named after the Firestone Tire Company. Uh, and then I graduated from <clears throat> the University of Akron with a marketing degree. Well, well, it started out earlier for you that uh, those train of thoughts, because they certainly are evidence still, um, you know, to market yourself, to make your business thrive and so forth. Yeah, and it, it's really a different world today, you know. Mm -hmm. As you know, it's so state of the art. We're talking across the world here and we're on the Internet. <laughs> Was this environment, uh, you know, pollution aside, an, an environment that fostered, that encouraged creativity and physical activity? Or, or was that a passion of yours that grew out of personal interests that you developed yourself? I kind of wanted to take martial arts when I was young. When I got out of high school, somebody had mentioned there was a kung fu school. And I, I probably said this before, but, <clears throat> you know, I was pretty young when that kung fu series was out and... I just really like the philosophy, and that's when I started in Kung Fu around 19 years old, and, you know, I'm 62 now, and, you know, I just had a unbelievable passion for it, and I've kind of discovered in myself, if I don't have a passion to do something, I, I just can't do it, or I can't last at it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd work out seven days a week and that type of training is different than resistance training because it's pretty much body weight training and when you're young your body can take a lot but I just uh, really love kung fu and I had trained under someone locally in, a, in Akron when he passed away I kind of wandered out there and I trained with a, a Choi Le Foot instructor in San Francisco for a short period which was right. obviously very far from Ohio. And then through someone in Maryland, just strolling through Ohio, he worked for Navy intelligence. This guy worked for Navy intelligence and he was actually doing work at Goodyear. And he just happened to call my school and said, I have a Kung Fu school in Maryland. Could I come down? And then a really good guy, you know, he kind of changed my life. Actually, I always tell him whenever I, I haven't seen him in years, but I say, you, you changed my life walking into my school he had mentioned uh, the Grandmaster Tai Yim and the system of Hung Phut, and I had never heard of it, and it really grabbed my attention, you know, and he, he just built him up so much. I picked up the phone, called him one day, and he said, come to Maryland. You'll see uh, several schools here. We get together and do forums and fighting, and he obviously had some of his better students there, but it was very interesting. And they were doing, you know, very hard, full contact, kind of a mix of like, not, they didn't do uh, grappling. There, there's certain Kung Fu styles that do grappling, but they did throwing and takedowns, but not submission type grappling. Uh, Chinna is a submission form, but most of the full contact Kung Fu styles will do San Shao. Uh, you know, which is basically kickboxing with elbows, knees, and uh, leg kicks, etc. And it was, you know, it was really aggressive. And his student was 
just amazing. And as soon as I watched his student really go through the form more than anything, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I trained a little bit while I was there that first trip. And he kind of took a liking to me because he knew I was very dedicated for 13 years. But it was a mixed mosh of styles where, you know, his is a specific system, a southern system of kung fu. And I just started traveling there like every month. And when I got to a certain level, he said, okay, you can start teaching now. It was kind of tough for me because I was learning that and I wanted to teach it, but I wasn't quite ready yet. And I was operating my school. Yeah, yeah, at a young age too. I mean, I was always um, impressed by that fact, uh, if the facts are correct, that you you started teaching on your own and opened your first Kung Fu school at the age of 23 which yeah. which is uh, which sounds young because you assume someone leading a school is someone of high authority and you sort of equate that with high with a high age I'd like to have some of those years back <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that is how I started it and you know back then it kind of started in a bad area and really never commercialized I mean <clears throat> as long as I was in business I just never commercialized. I I didn't really know how, nor did I really want to. I went through a few different locations, and then I I went through a location near the University of Akron, and you know one day I thought I'm going to go over there and see if I can teach a class. So I went over, and they knew who I was, and so they had me teach a credited phys ed class without any, cause I only had a two year degree and they said, you're the only person we've got here that can actually teach a credited course without a teaching degree, which would have had to have been at least a four year degree. And I, I enjoyed it. I wrote up a test and I, I really thought doing that would gain students. But once again, you, as you evolve in business, you learn, okay, not too many college kids actually want to do this, you know, as far as being very dedicated. I was never a really big football fan, but my father was uh, a diehard football fan, and he was actually a recruiter for Notre Dame College, which is a very big college. And so I started thinking, and I really didn't even watch football that much, how much overall the hand techniques and and back then the training methods uh were good but they have so many tools now and mm-hmm. scientific methods for training football players but it's all for the athleticism it isn't really for shedding the hands and stuff like that which <clears throat> is i think they're actually kind of do pretty much the same stuff they did way back but the physical training for the athleticism and speed and everything is very different. So I I went to the Cleveland Browns camp and I walked in and I uh, really didn't, you know, know anybody. And and there was a coach in there and he looked up at me and he started talking to me like he knew me. And I said, I think you got the wrong guy. (laughs) I said, I just came up here to see if you guys would want to do martial arts training. And it just so happened he he had taken uh, Shotokan karate, and he was a really open-minded trainer. He's pretty famous now. I think he's with the Green Bay Packers. His name is uh, Dave Redding. And 
you know, he'd have people hit the pads and stuff. So I showed him what I'd do. He said, well, what would you do if they did this? What would you do? Because it's pretty much like fighting, you know, someone comes this way, except they have different rules, you know, where you're not really hitting. So he says, boy, I really like this. And because most Southern Kung Fu styles are very upper body dominant, you know, he says, well, I want to set up a meeting with the uh, defensive line coach tomorrow. And can you come back? And I came back and the defensive line coach liked what I showed him. And I said, whatever you do, just tell me and I'll, I'll have a way to defend against it because their biggest problem was, and obviously in every sport, things get missed, you know, uh, offensive linemen would grab the shirts, which they're not supposed to. And so they wanted to be able to, you know, shed their hands, not get, you know, grabbed and whatever technique they could use that they weren't doing. So I actually started showing them a lot of the just drills and footwork and speed training that you would do in Kung Fu. And then we they would practice guy grabbing the hands. And I came up with several variations of how that were quicker than what they were doing. <clears throat> and they really liked it. And uh, I'll tell you, I had the time of my life going up there. Because you're training really high-level, strong, powerful athletes, and they just pick the stuff up so quick. And 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 open-minded uh, as well. You know, it wasn't just a coach. It sounded like your, for lack of a better word, uh, students, your pupils were open-minded because it seems like it it seemed like something they understood could be applied to their particular sport. Like it wasn't this foreign thing. Right. That's exactly it. Because the the news. The local Cleveland news came out, and I still, to this day, whenever I watch it, one of the guys says, you know, we've done ballet, we've done all this other stuff, but he says, this stuff really has merit because, you know, it's combat. They were going to hire me full-time. Dave Redding was trying to get me in full-time the next year. <laughs> With my luck, they moved, uh, the head coach went to Kansas City. And I wasn't really in deep with them at that point because I was only going up there a couple times a week. So he took, you know, and then they take their whole crew of coaches. And it, it wasn't long after that that I moved moved to Los Angeles. I was, I had always wanted to move, you know, I had always wanted to get into acting. And you sit there and watch martial arts movie after and go, oh, if I if I don't hurry up, I'll be too old. What was your, um, uh, if we go back to the martial arts movie sort of exposure that you had in America, you've always been more lucky than, for instance, over here in Sweden, that, that you, you had exposure to to Kung Fu on TV, literally the series Kung Fu, certainly Bruce Lee and then Kung Fu Theater on TV. So how much did you sort of uh, marathon in your in your youth of, of Kung Fu, like both at home and in the cinemas? Back then... And, and my memory's kind of weak. Like I went through a period of about a month here where I signed up with Netflix and a lot of those movies started popping up. I think it's the way I set up my profile. Mm -hmm. And I, I really enjoyed watching those movies and that crew of guys from the Shaw brothers. Uh, they were just good. I just enjoyed, they were very entertaining and, They'd use the same guys, and I don't know their names. The one guy was in uh, – he did the monkey style in 
I think it was a second Ip Man. Yeah, it was a second Ip Man where they were making uh, Donnie Yen fight the different masters to prove. And the one guy, he went up first. He was really famous then. And I don't know if you remember him or know who I'm talking about. I've, I've actually not seen Ip Man 2, but I know that there's some old, uh, some old school faces in there. I know, well, obviously Samo is in it, uh, but you, you have guys like Fung Hakon, who was in a lot of the Shaw Brothers movies. Uh, so, so certainly when Ip Man was made, those guys were still around and still able, uh, despite their age. He was the one that was always the most muscular in the group. And he, that was the guy, as soon as I saw him, I remembered him and he was really entertaining in that movie. Uh, but I used to watch all those back then in Akron, you know, Akron was a small town. They didn't really play much in any of the old theaters, but some of us would go up to Cleveland, which was like a 40 minute drive late at night to watch movies in some of these old theaters because they would play them. But I used to watch all that stuff, Kung Fu Theater, all of it. I, I loved it. And for whatever reason, you know, everybody's got different interests. I just really had taken a liking to Kung Fu. You know, I kept I was like I said, I was very passionate about it. I I trained very hard. You make a lot of sacrifices, you know, when you own a school. Because you have to stay good yourself. You have to always improve. And you pretty much are self-motivated. I would go on my place. And, and Akron probably had two months of nice weather. But I'd be in my place while everybody else was out in the sun. And I'm working out by myself. Mm-hmm. But I don't regret a day of it. Um, I always physically and mentally feel my best when I practice martial arts more just because it was pretty much the better part of my life. You know, that's kind of what I was known for. And to be honest with you, I never really thought I was going to be doing many other things. But uh, so after I had had the school that I was telling you about and trained the Browns, and then I went over to the University of Akron and also trained their football team. But they watched the news clip about the Browns and and actually called me. There you go, Ripples. Yeah, and just in a short time, their kicker said, I had my best year from that training. And I go, from six weeks of just basics, he goes, yeah, he says, that stuff just helped me, which shows you how you can show an athlete something and they just take such advantage of it. You know, they're, they're able to really utilize it. But martial arts in general is probably the overall best exercise. There's a sports medicine doctor that uh, Dr. Denuvali has a few books out, and he rates uh, martial arts just because of the plyometrics, the whole body conditioning. You know, you you work your torso quite a bit in it, your legs, everything, and and basically martial arts training itself is fairly safe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when you're a traditional martial arts school, you know, you, you do fighting in that, but it, it's not as devastating as uh, MMA is. It, I mean, that, and that's a professional sport, and that sport just continues to grow and grow. And it's pretty amazing to me how many people really like getting in that and how many women 
love getting in that sport. You know, I was never, I was more of a martial arts movie fan than a, a person who wanted to get into uh, the art. But um, I always say this though, anything that someone is doing with a passion and skill and, and skill that I that I have pers- no personal interest in or can't tap into, those people rank very high in my book, but especially people who can apply it to, that go a little bit outside of the box. The way you talk about applying this training to a professional football team sounds like something not many people tapped into and it, it's not the association game that you do in your head martial art football martial art football and it just shows that it is you can apply it in such a wide way and uh, that's always uh, amazing to hear and uh, and for for me as a non-practitioner that 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 certainly is very uh, very admirable and it shows also that there's places to go you're not done uh, w- once you've taught your first class by yourself at 23, you're not done, certainly. <laughs> so, uh, but but that transition to Los Angeles, what what was your intent to try and strike a balance between uh, trying to get the leg up in the in- entertainment industry and run a school, or how was the uh, transition to Los Angeles? As a matter of fact, when I went out there, uh, I drove there, which was about three and a half days, and that was with very little rest. Uh, I think my first trip, my first stop on the way was as far as sleeping was about 17 hours, but I was, you know, I, I had a lot more energy then. <laughs> and I, you know, I was pumped and just leaving a smaller town like Akron and heading out to Los Angeles with no job. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it's now to think about that. Uh, that's scary. I, I wouldn't, uh, risk things like that again, I'd have to have more of a sure bet. But I really didn't plan on opening a school. I planned on teaching and trying to teach in different gyms and not be committed to a school. And to be honest with you, that was probably a big mistake. When you, you know, and this would be my advice to anybody moving to Los Angeles to get into acting. Don't plan on going out there. I was there for like six years. And just waiting for that to happen. Get yourself established in work and not be stressed over financial. And just keep working at getting into that. Not, I don't know how many years was it I was there. And I may have mentioned this to you in just a conversation. But I had a great script. It was called The Insider. Two very good writers and myself. I worked on... consulting on it for the martial arts and and some of the Chinese philosophy. Uh, And it was about the 1997 convergence in Hong Kong. And the one writer, he's really well read. He's got some books out now, but that's all he ever did was research. And he had all types of things that were factual in the family names and the British names uh, that were powerful there. And he utilized it. It was really written as a big budget movie, kind of like a James Bond movie. This guy was from uh, Los Angeles, raised in Beverly Hills. And so he knew some people there and he got an agent who was David Bradley's agent. And he really liked it. And, you know, at the time I was I was running a strip club in the evening and he called there and uh, he says, man, I really like that script. I'd like to talk to you about it. 
and he knew the situation with the writers. I, I had made the writers uh, do an agreement that it couldn't be sold without me as the lead for two years. And uh, he, he said, let's go out to dinner. We hung out. He's just a great guy, very talented. And this is a thing you don't know about a lot of people that he, he had a pretty good career. I think he did about 10 movies with and this guy could sing, he could do everything. And he was very bright. And I said, he, he invited me over his house after we went out to eat. We walked around, talked, and he, I said, I know you can get it done, and I can't. And, and I trained enough people in the entertainment industry to not blow a chance because very few, you know, get one. And and I had already done Undefeatable, but this was a much higher level up. And, you know, New Image was a, uh, kind of in that B movie, a million, two, million, three classification. They were always successful and they had a formula. So he actually got them to, to do the deal. And, you know, they told they had to talk with the writers and they said, you know, this is can't be done this way. We do movies for like whatever it was, a million three, and it wouldn't be shot in Hong Kong and it'd have to be shot in the Philippines. You'll have the writer, you know, you'll sell us the script for 25,000 and we'll let you do the rewrites, but we'll tell you how to write it. And they got fussy about it and blew the whole thing. And that kind of was a big, big downer for me because those opportunities don't come along very often. And, uh, I had kind of felt New Image was right up my alley because they tend to use people and keep building them if, you know, you do well with them. And a big thing in those films is can you take direction from the director? Are they going to have problems with you? You can argue. And anyways, that was a, a pretty big opportunity that um, didn't happen. Well, it's a shame when you uh, when you get like, uh, uh, you know, halfway into the project just to uh, uh, for the sake of argument that way it seems like everyone's in sync and it's a shame when it's when it's passed on that yes. things start to devolve and um, you know you never know sometimes what what people you're gonna encounter in terms of if they share your vision if they share your sync or you know it, it's uh you know you hear horror stories about development hell of course so, so it's not uncommon but 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 it's a shame when when you feel like i'm we, we go we go and we have forward momentum and then it sort of uh lo loses track and you don't want your i guess you, you want to maintain integrity too you don't want your original idea to be uh, uh watered down or anything i mean i wasn't happy with them at all the, these were mature adults that had an opportunity at their dream and you have to make sacrifices <laughs> And because if you make those sacrifices and you do well, you'll be able to call your own shots eventually, just like any business, any job. And that business is just so hard to, you know, even get a break in. And, and that was a pretty big break for me that um, went by the wayside. Uh, we we go back and forth in the timeline, of course. And uh, you you mentioned your uh, your teacher, your your um, your Sifu uh, Grandmaster Taim, who who uh, I don't know nothing of the gentleman, but clearly I know this that he was not sitting idle uh, in terms of uh, I'm just going to stick to teaching because he was apparently setting up a martial arts movie or two to be shot in in the states, 
with a Hong Kong crew. And and I mean, I, I presumed you stayed in contact with him and even when you went to Los Angeles and and, and, and got wind of that honor and glory was being developed, uh, whether that title was floating about, I don't know. But where it, was there ever any talks of um, auditioning for it or getting into it or you were just too busy, um, you know? No, being well, I was busy, but I had, you know, I was kind of waiting in Ohio because, you know, he had told me he's going to do this and see his family and that was in theater in Hong Kong. Right, so right. he wasn't strange to it. So after I got there, I had kind of got established in a really nice health club as a trainer. And I taught a martial arts class in Beverly Hills. And I had just picked up actually some big clients in the film industry, the head of development for Caracol Pictures and the head of development for New Line Cinema. They were right above. And I went in there and it just took off very well. And then he called and said, we're going to do Honor and Glory. Can you come here? And then, you know, meet the director and want you to, you know, to be the lead in it with, you know, not whatever, maybe like what John's role was. To be honest with you, I don't even know if I've watched Honor and Glory all the way through. So I said, boy, I just can't, you know, I just cut, kind of got rolling here and I took a lot of money from people and I can't just, you know, blow it off. And he says, that's okay. We're going to do another one. So I'll let you know. And then, you know, then the undefeatable came along and he says, come here and meet Godfrey and uh, met Godfrey and, and he liked me. And I think I went back to Ohio for about a month or so because I was kind of out of L.A. for about four months and just worked out really hard there. Kind of got grounded again, you know, being back in my hometown <clears throat> and then went back to Maryland and uh, it was myself Robin Shu and the cameraman who was from Hong Kong. And we stayed in a house together. But Robin and I never shot a scene together. No, to, to explain to listeners that uh, if you've seen Undefeatable and you think Robin Shu, where is he? Well, he was in the alternate version shot for Asia called Bloody Mary Killer that Robin was uh, the lead in, sort of a side story that connects to your role as Stingray or Devilfish in the uh, Bloody Mary Killer edit and, and Cynthia's story. So so Godfrey was um, preparing a, almost a wildly different edit for, for Asia, which uh, explains uh, uh, Robin Hsu's um, appearance and so forth, uh, but uh, clearly shot uh, simultaneously with uh, the main production, so to say. Well, Robin uh, shortly went on to uh, to you know he was he was destined to uh, to become a star. Clearly, I mean he he done some excellent Hong Kong movies. I mean it's it's an obscure one, but it's more famous for a stunt uh, involving a little girl. But there's an excellent movie called Fatal Termination that Robin shot in Hong Kong with uh, big names and a big crew, and it's a uh, just a vicious vicious movie. And um, you know he's a good good looking guy, and they really showed promise early on uh, so yeah he had the package you know the physical and the looks and i know he had done he showed me some of his movies he had shown me one movie where he they he broke his leg right in the beginning you know because they do so much of their own stunts and he said they actually asked him they said you you want to jump off this 15 foot roof and he says yeah i did 14 foot and he jumped off and he broke his leg. So oh, no. all the fight scenes were just upper body where he was resting one leg on a chair 
and then doing you know everything because they they're pretty creative there <laughs> they'll get by if they have to yeah yeah certainly i mean even jet lee was doubled for a few fairly large portion of uh, the first Once Upon a Time in China movie. He broke his ankle, I believe, and then uh, that production was a little bit messed up. They they were not at the end of it by that point, so they had uh, they had doubling going on there, And but still still looks seamless, and, and as you say, they, they find a way to get around it. They know their way around doubling, which is more than evident in undefeatable for falls and certain moves and spin kicks and what have you, so it, they, they know their stuff. It might look like a B-move, movie to people i mean i i love undefeatable but the skill in making it a seamless whole is crazy good and then some which we which i'm sure you were witnessing uh you know to the sides when you weren't on on camera and watching the stuntmen do their thing um i mean i'm sure it was uh admirable to watch but how we, we we can jump a little bit back and forth but how much conceptually in terms of what action you were going to perform were you even aware of beforehand or it was turn up on the day and get fed the action 10 minutes before before action i I didn't even really know what i was in for but it it is very physical and you you know you just even falling on your hip with uh minuscule pads over and over and over again takes its toll on you during that movie uh a nerve in my chest got messed up oh really and I was living on ibuprofen just to do that. Matter of fact, the last that fight scene with John, I said, John, I said, you cannot believe it because the nerve affects your strength. Yeah. And I said, I barely have any strength and I can't even remember. I think it was in my left arm. And I and that was, you know, after a lot of shooting day in and day out, just I just kind of had to baby it. But. Uh, the choreography, you know, it's pretty fast. You just, this is what you're going to do. And, uh, then you do it and you just, you know, I mean, I learned a little bit about the lower budget films that they just have to get it done. So go and we make the best of it. I mean, fortunately, everybody on there was martial artists. You know, I think everybody picks up the choreography pretty quick. It's still amazing that you, you can sort of have such such a short lead up to uh, calling action and still and still get the results. Eventually, I mean, it's not one; they're not one take wonders. These guys, obviously, it, it takes a while. But if you that you can still get working with tight restrictions, tight shooting schedules, I don't know, and still get that quality on screen, which is evident in Undefeatable. It is mind blowing, but but I guess that speaks to the fact that they populate their productions with experts and then some to get that done in within those tight restrictions. Yeah, because you wouldn't be able to do that. I mean, you can't utilize speed, and you know, even though you're pulling stuff, even blocking and stuff, if your arms are really conditioned, you do that over and over and over again, and whoever's arms are going to be harder and stronger. The other guy's going to get really feel it because you can't have excitement and want to make it right without making contact. And you know, you're a martial artist, so it's not a big deal. Uh, it's just, nobody wants to get hit, you know, full blown in the face. And that was probably one of the worst things was having to stick paper, wet paper in my mouth and then kind of let him hit me 
I think it was John hit me or something uh, with a, you know, kind of a relaxed fist, but you're still, you know, just letting somebody hit you in the jaw. Yeah, well, well, well. Thank you, Lucky Stars. Uh, you didn't have to work with Samo Hung, which certainly Cynthia had, because Samo had no problem having full contact on screen, which is great for us, the cinema goers. But it's uh, those painful falls and painful uh, full contact uh, sequences, whether you know Eastern Condors or or Millionaire's Express that Cynthia was in, and so forth. Th- those are showcases for. You know their audience reaction movies because you go ooh and yeah. But but there there's even stuff in Undefeatable where the where the stuntmen just take these crazy falls that they they, they look so matter of fact. There's a scene where one of the guys that you fight jumps off or gets kicked off or thrown off this. Uh, you're in a, you're in a parking garage, like the first story or second story for a parking garage. He falls onto a car and then hit the pavement. And that stuff. I've seen a million times, and um, it looks way too easy, but it obviously is an act of bravery, like you read about. And I, I think I would freak out watching that in person. Yeah, I would do it. I mean, everybody that was there was in amazement. And I, I think they did it twice, and that was it, because I think actually the first time it dented, you know, it dented the hood of the van, and... I mean, that guy had minimal pads on. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you're going to dive off this and land on that van? But that's a rough gig. And I think Robin Chu did a documentary or something about yeah. stuntmen because, you know, they're the people that do a lot of the really rough work and nobody knows. The actors tend to get credit for it. But uh, I had a specific stunt double for me. You know, I I didn't do that. You did falls and stuff in the fights. And pretty much the fight scene, well, the fight scene with Cynthia and John and I at the end, there wasn't really, uh, as far as John and I were concerned, we there was nothing really to use a stuntman for. You know, just jumping up on stuff and rolling off wasn't a big deal. Uh there was a few other actually the fight scene in the garage with the karate champion there wasn't anything you know there but i kind of liked that fight scene and i was able to my intro there wasn't overdone you know what i mean right. i just kind of did it the way i wanted to uh, but that guy was a very good martial artist too i, I think he was a us karate champ yeah, yeah, he it, it sounded um, he sounded like an American Chinese because there there is sing sound dialogue in that scene, so it, it may not have been uh, one of the uh, guys that uh, a, a, guy, a guy called Douglas Kung is credited for the actions. So uh, presumably he had his team over there. I, I I wanted to ask, like, when did it come apparent to you that Godfrey was directing this, for lack of a better word, and I say this with all the love in my heart, this schizophrenic? type of time because undefeatable is not just a kung fu action movie it's an exploitation movie essentially so when did that come become apparent to you because i don't believe you saw a finished script beforehand and knew what kind of smorgasbord godfrey was going to serve well you know the thing is i had never done a full length so it was all new to me 
I could see scrambling, and then, of course, there were continuity, obvious continuity mistakes. Some of the disorganization wasn't all Godry's fault because he's coming over. He brings his stunt crew, but the rest of the crew are all local people. So, you know, probably if he had his entire crew for everything, uh, he'd have probably been less disorganized. But he does seem to kind of just wing things or add stuff in or or do whatever he kind of feels like. Uh, I'd say it was fairly evident early. (laughs) Yeah, I I know you told the story that the first two days of shooting were quite distinct scenes. I mean, one was like an all-day session at the uh, ring that is part of the uh, opening montage, and then the second day was the quite horrible rape scene. So so I heard that Godfrey threw you into the big stuff quite early on. Yeah, well, the first one was like actually like 13 hours. It was the next day my entire body was really sore because... You kind of push yourself anyways, you know, because you're physical, but still you feel it the next day and and you're pretty much doing that every day unless you're shooting. Because uh, there was a fight scene uh, every time I shot, you know, oh, who do we kill now? <laughs> I, I, I wanted to ask, I know Godfrey's English is like sufficient and was sufficient at the time because I've seen interviews, but how detailed direction would godfrey give i mean i've heard westerners when working with godfrey on those uh, ninja movies that he did with richard harrison and so forth that one of the often used directing techniques from godfrey was and essentially he said this i can't see you acting more acting oh yeah that was uh that he did a lot of the more stuff and of course i didn't even really (laughs) towards the end I would look at what was just shot and I thought, boy, I wish I'd have looked at this earlier, (laughs) but I'd probably had more arguments with him if I did. Well, the English is a little bit in just kind of uh, relaying what he wanted was very vague. And it was pretty much just go crazy and kill him. And that's it. And, you know, they're used to those guys over there doing all their own stunts. So they expect you to do, I mean, I ended up doing a lot of physical stuff I wasn't expecting, but I really didn't know what I was in for. You know, I mean, you do stuff that you're jumping up from a standstill on, on the hood of a car and just different things, you know, but I mean, I was pretty much a martial arts sponge back then. And I, I learned really quick. So Anything new was really fairly easy to pick up because uh, there's a different form of fighting for film. And I'd say I spent about two hours with the stuntmen before we started it to control my kicks and stuff and how to make it, you know, still have some cracking and, and contact without hurting. You had to kind of practice it, you know what I mean? <clears throat> I had a little of that, and obviously learned a lot about other than when the camera was directly from the side which really shouldn't be done because the camera doesn't have any depth perception so if you're throwing a punch at somebody it's it's how you do it and how fast and how hard and how exciting you make it look and then how the person reacts with the timing that makes it all kind of real you know 
what I really noticed this time around rewatching it was that you know whether this train of thought was deep or not the the action that they design around you is designed to feature essentially you all the time it's it, they don't it, go for extensive doubling because th- there isn't a need for it and that creates that there's a present that is more felt mm-hmm. and in combination with the fact that this is a serial killer movie also that uh, requires you to be on board as a movie fan for that kind of movie like it, it adds this unified feeling that this is this is all done and th- this is the type of movie he's he's in for and we're in for and that makes it all quite enjoyable it's a very hong kong movie in that regard in hong kong they didn't bother separating genres this is typical almost that of course there can be kung fu and a serial killer plot and exploitation elements in here of course which is always wonderful when it is transferred somewhere else in this case america and that train of thought is still present so it didn't uh, go through the filters and become watered down and certainly it didn't uh, emerge in the action either that filtered down presence because uh, Douglas and his team were they were the ones heading it so and, and you guys responded to that whether you had a couple of hours to uh, train for for the uh, scene with just Cynthia or versus John at the end I mean that training shows up and in the filmmaking as well you you guys look like you're well in tune with the Hong Kong style if you will and that's a that's a major credit to all of you I mean Cynthia John and you so because there was a lot of movement in that and traveling around you know, once again, I mean, it was just, uh, and I, I, now you mentioned his name, Douglas. He, he was a funny guy. He was super athletic, but I watched him take that fall one day where it was supposed to be Cynthia on the table in the warehouse. And he was such a nice guy. And Robin had told me, you know, he says, you know, those guys, they don't really make much. They came here hoping to just, you know, do more. And then, he, he did that flip off that table, and it's concrete, and he landed on his back, and he didn't have anything on. I mean, he should have even had something on, but he landed wrong, you know? I mean, it's probably like one of the first things out of bed the guy does, and he, he lands on it, and I felt so sorry for him. And I thought, man, he's – and I go, what a way to make a living. Have to <laughs> come here to the u.s <laughs> yeah you're, you're right i mean even in uh, the team that surrounds the big guys so to say jackie chan and summer Hong, that team is not you know living in luxury back then they were working men and women and they took falls like like you read about and there were injuries you you, you you're sometimes amazed that there were that that there weren't more fatalities um in hong kong cinema considering what what concepts they decided to place on screen for our enjoyment which is almost sadistic as a viewer like uh, that guy broke his legs this movie is fun <laughs> you know it's a you you sometimes feel so bad for them it's part of the deal i mean it, it's not you know like american films they're not gonna let their guy they're paying 20 million dollars for hurt himself they can't even afford to miss one day with the budgets they're on but that well and robin had told me he said, in Hong Kong, people look for you to do your own stuff. If you don't, you'll never be popular. That's just, that's just the way it was there. But, I I mean, the, the Hong Kong stuntmen's and the style of fighting, it's, it's all here now. I mean, 
pretty much everything that's kind of wild and crazy, all that cable work and everything, all that stuff is, is come. And I think it was uh, John Wu that, because he did bigger budget films that started introducing it and the slow motion bullets. Cause you know how they do a lot of slow motion and close-ups. <clears throat> and once the audience sees higher level, faster fighting, you can't go back. It'd be like going back and watching a Western from years ago. And, you know, would you go, Oh my God, dude, you know, even the, uh, an uneducated eye could see that the guy held his hand up for three minutes before he even threw the punch. So, and now, you know, we talked about this before. The only thing is that, that I don't like is all the animated fight scenes and, they have the luxury of throwing one punch and, and you don't even see the finish of it because it's, it's edited. But I think that they've gone from like when Jason Statham first did, uh, my memory so bad, the, uh, where he transporter, I liked him and all his earlier stuff. And then the more, whoever decides that we want it to look like this. Now they think that, making everything look more mechanical and unrealistic is better. And it's not. And I'm, that's just feedback that people tell me, they go, that's some of that stuff. Stupid. I, you know, they, they get thrown 20 feet, which no one could do anyways. And they get back up and then they get punched in the jaw and, and go down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there is a regression going on now. We, we've, we've evolved that odd so much. And at some point, someone decided that the best way to showcase fight scenes is to have it choppily edited and very shaky. So a movie like Undefeatable and movies from that time all of a sudden are very state of art because that's the real deal and it's captured in a coherent manner. So, you know, there is a movie called Drive as well made around 97 with Mark Takaskos which is, I always say, it's, it's one of the best, if not the best, Hong Kong action movie made in America. And that one hasn't aged at all because the action is captured as it should. And in 2017, there's precious few filmmakers that are allowed to capture it the way it should because um, people think for the audience is done. And uh, unfortunately, the audience should be given more credit uh, sometimes. And um, Undefeatable is going to stay very relevant if we go the way we're going with uh, tracking action and uh, shooting action nowadays. So. It seems like it's continually getting more popular. I mean, this is kind of uh, odd, but once in a while I'll get things, I'll get texts or something, because my phone numbers are, are you, Don, I'm a fan, blah, blah, blah. One day I got up, I usually go to bed early, guys left me a message. This my bachelor party, and these guys are all on my Facebook now. He said, we always have a screening for whoever's getting married of Undefeatable, and we just love it. And, you know, I mean, it, it makes you feel good because I'm yeah, going, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's like 24 years old, and I had no idea they, how many more are out there. And then they sent me a video to introduce each one of them at the party. And they were just so excited that, you know, I responded like a normal person. And because uh, I think people kind of get an image of, of you to a certain degree. But, I mean, these are all kind of like young professional 
guys and like I told you before, it this is what started me thinking, wow, the whole market that likes this has really changed. Because every year there's a new market. You know, there's a new person that sees it and the fact that the internet and YouTube and everything makes accessible it, it makes you and, and the guy that put that first video up really is how that whole thing got going. You know, I, I don't think it, it doesn't look like it's growing much in hits now because also several other people started naming their fight scenes best fight scene ever after that one came out. But uh, I mean, still regularly. I'm getting people, one guy sent me a short he just did. He says, I'm a big fan of yours, and I love the movie. And then he got on my Facebook, he goes, I like your workout uh, videos. I always just post stuff, you know, just how to do things. It's just something I do. But <clears throat> he came out of nowhere, and he just wanted me to see the short that he put together. I think in general, film and and acting and music is just becoming something that so many more people want to do. You know, when you're my age, that wasn't something from Akron, Ohio that you just went and, and did. And that's probably why it took me so long to get out of there because you just didn't have the mindset that you could go do something like that or give it a try. You know, uh, I didn't grow up in that family. Uh, they weren't super conservative, but just normal and and you know he really didn't have much in in Akron for acting and nobody made movies back then you know uh now they're making movies everywhere everybody's making movies we're blessed with so much creativity but, but obviously it becomes uh, harder to uh, to get noticed fully um that way you know uh, the, 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 it's the wonderful oversaturation if you will uh, you know that everybody can nowadays. There's no one saying you you can't, and and if anyone is saying you can't, then that should act as fuel for for you as a person. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll uh, go. I'll, I'll I'll you know listening to someone else is probably the the worst thing you can do, as as the cliche goes. So uh, the the way you trucked forward, uh, you know, post undefeatable, there, there wasn't to me this full focus on okay movies is all i'm gonna focus on now because if you follow your timeline it seems like okay it's the martial arts it's the training and it's how to reach out more with my particular training and to find an angle that will uh, you know draw an audience and so forth so you know like does nitro kick fit into that that you you wanted to reach out a little bit more and uh, to capitalize a little bit on that home video market of instructional videos, whether martial arts or gymnastics and what have you? Um, the thing is, I actually had the idea for that way, way back before I moved to L.A. And uh, I trained a guy that had a really big company, and, and he used to manage health clubs, you know, and then he went into his own thing. And I said, I have an idea. I want to call it Nitro Dynamics. And I wanted to do more of the Qigong exercises, intention and strengthening exercises, along with not as much kickboxing, but putting short combinations in a fitness type workout. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like using actual techniques and combinations that you would use in a form without being super strict about it, because you're going to teach it to. And he just said, well, 
no, they're not. This people won't do that. They're just not ready for it. And he came from a health club background that was fast sales and aggressive, and they were pretty much, you know, sell and go. Uh, and then he ended up in the diet industry, really big diet, and he's been really super successful. And I, you know, trained him privately, and it would have been a pittance for him. So later, when I came back to Ohio. You know, that kind of thing was happening more, and there were DVDs out for workouts. But you really need professional guidance on that stuff. And, of course, the company in Ohio, they gave me a really good deal to shoot that. They were a very professional video company. They shot the Cavs games and a lot of stuff included. But they wanted the job. And the guy says, well, don't wait forever. Just get your video shot. And then see about marketing it. And it just seemed like I was always like, okay, that's too advanced. Like uh, for Home Shopping Network, submitted it twice. They go, that's too advanced for our market. Well, that's because I had a friend of mine that sold on there. And he said, they literally gauge every second of the infomercial as to how the calls come in, what you said. And he told me... (laughs) Every time they sat down and did an exercise, they sold more. So it was actual work. If it would have been a gadget, you know, that someone could just buy, and I tried later again, you know, I submitted it like a year later, and they just came back with the same answer. But that type of thing really needs a machine to drive it, you know? And it just, uh, like Tybo sold so much. But... And actually, a friend of mine was involved, and I didn't even know it. Sometime, one time I was reading, and it was a friend of mine from Akron. And I ran into him at the gym or something, and I said, were you involved in that, Tybo? And he says, yeah. And he kind of told me the story behind it, that uh, uh, they were – the company was based in, in Canton, Fitness Quest. And they were doing the uh, Sugar Ray – Leonard's that hitman thing, which is still a big seller, you know, that dummy mm-hmm. that looks like a man. And I think uh, Billy Blanks had met him there and met those people. And he was, you know, when you're passionate about what you do, you can kind of sell it. And it was something new. And they did it. And he told me we just decided this was a company that sold what was called entertainment books, where you'd sell it for $15 and there were coupons for restaurants for half price. Right. right. And, he said, let's just put all our money into that project. And But he said it took us a year and a half. And, you know, just to shoot an infomercial now is a half a million dollars that's scripted. And if you've got a celebrity, probably double that. But what really hits you is the uh, airtime. So, you know, it was just uh, <laughs> the next one. But... I had really wanted to do that way, way back before I, I moved to Los Angeles. And uh, like I was probably the only person that ever promoted international style kickboxing. Right. And that was something I had a lot of fun with. And I kind of wanted to take that to the next level. But when I researched it, you pretty much had to have capital to put your own show together. And then you sell it to Showtime if they want it. And I wasn't in a position to do that. Uh, but I kind of feel like, and I'm, I'm kind of going through this now, and I have been for the last three, four years. Sometimes it takes many years to realize 
exactly who you are and what fuels you. I started in the martial arts so young and I just spent so many hours and it just evolved, you know, in the having my school and then teaching uh, college teams. And, and But I had the energy to just go, I'm going to go do this. You know what I mean? You want to just kind of get it out there everywhere you can. So I realized that as far as work, I, I pretty much need a passion to be to go do it. I just never a person that could stand a regular job and hate it for 25 years. No, but just, I was like, no. I mean, I mean, where's the energy and fuel in that? Because you, you don't really look forward to anything. I mean, yes, a paycheck, but uh, but, but like a paycheck isn't a 500% like inner revolution, you know? You, you, you and, and really, it's what... I mean, I have a day job and this, and all this, the podcasting and the writing, that's like my unpaid hobby, my unpaid extra extra thing. But I, if without it, uh, I have to tell you that this uh, life would be boring because this, uh, this allows me to focus. And it's amazing what kind of energy can be built up in you once you uh, have a clear focus and structure. Having said that, that... A clear focus and structure, that's something that always evolves as well. If I look back five, ten years doing this stuff, I I know that I, I've, I'm maybe less strict in certain areas and way more strict in other areas. But it's all feeding into staying energetic and uh, treating it like work. That's fun. Yes, it's fun, but... Because it, because it is work. God damn it, oh, is it yeah. work. <laughs> it's definitely... I mean, even when I shot that movie and I thought... Of course, actors in big budget films have a little bit nicer setup, but it's still work and it's concentration. And if you're not used to remembering lines, uh, you know, because you only get two takes, plus you got to do the physical part. And plus you got to go, okay, look over here, because when the camera comes on, it's going to be so it's quite a bit of learning all at once. And but I learned later because the martial arts is built into me, I always feel better when I'm teaching that. I, I enjoy teaching martial arts more than I do fitness training. Right, yeah. yeah. I, I really got into that because I'm kind of a natural teacher. I can teach fast, and I just have a natural understanding. I don't think, and I, I always say this, and I write a lot of blog articles, being a trainer is not a job. It's a passion. If you don't want to help people and and watch people get results and develop them, you, you shouldn't be doing it because it's not a job. It, it's truly a passion, and, and you have to be, in my opinion, somewhat gifted or develop the gift because you like it so much. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, uh, but that's why I kind of fall back in the combination. Like I, you know, a lot of my clients, I get them started on kickboxing and they didn't even have an intention. And once they do, they love it because that's constant, constant, uh, uh, learning experience. But just to tell you one other thing, years ago, back in 2000, I started doing websites and I did it for my school. And I at least was smart enough to realize that the Internet is the future. So I'm going to learn how to do this. And I did all my sites for years, and they pretty much saved me in business. <clears throat> and I would do some. People would ask me, and I'd charge them for it. And, you know, I'm living out here, and 
when the economy hit really hard, you know, training is a luxury. And I started thinking, I think I'm going to start really going after this. And, and that's when I started just self-teaching more. But I think I have an artistic eye. Just like what you do, it's almost like therapy. I need yeah. <laughs> something artistic to do to develop so that you you have a piece at the end that go, oh, look what I put together. Yeah. Even if you're looking at it for yourself. And, and that's kind of why I got into that business. And, and it, you know, I've spent countless hours developing that. And, you know, it's, it's okay. It's not great because it's a hugely competitive business. But I, I kind of keep a niche in it and... <clears throat> As things have developed, uh, I have a guy that comes from L.A. that was a fan of the movies, <clears throat> and he kind of got me thinking about teaching because he plays soccer. He plays like high-level soccer. And he comes in a, once every couple months and trains with me. And, uh, you know, uh, when all this stuff started and I realized that the movie was selling on Amazon for a lot of money and I get this face, I just kind of an alarm went off and I go, wow, this thing's actually more popular because I never thought it was going to be. And we talked about it because he's a ghostwriter. And uh, I came up with a uh, concept and I'm working on it. And I think it'll it's a seller. It's just the business process of putting your own deal together is not easy. And mm -hmm. I'm going to hope for a lot of luck to put this together because I uh, – the the idea itself is is a winner. It, it, it sort of connects to uh, uh, what's current in the world of uh, world of you. I mean, you you mentioned that you you're a fitness trainer, personal trainer, and so forth. So, and and you touch upon that. That I I mean, I have you here. So I mean, of course, I'm gonna say good things about you. But I genuinely thought that before that he is not done. Even in 2017, he's, you know, you talk about doing websites in 2000s. That required coding, you know, advanced coding. <laughs> and nowadays, everything's so much simpler. But I think you have to sort of realize that you need um, you, you need to put on those extra five, six set of hands, if you will, uh, and uh, be ready to uh, to go with the times. Uh, and that that that's always admirable to me to me when whenever I see someone do that and uh, someone really occupying their twenty four hours in a balanced constructive way and uh, and and it certainly seems like um, we we, ha we haven't said it but you're based out of uh, Vegas now and and it certainly seems like that's that's the place currently that that's a good market for you client wise or actually for the training. It, it fluctuates a lot and it's never come back the way it was because also everybody and their brother got into it. And most of the people that inquire with me, I shouldn't say inquire because I get a lot of inquires because I'm, I'm ranked really well and I, I've designed a really killer site and it's designed to get inquiries and I get a lot of them and it's like, I can almost tell whether they're, you know, it's too much money for them. because people just think, okay, you've been doing this 40 years. You should just do it probably for 20 bucks an hour. And they don't realize <laughs> it's business. And I'm going to say 80% of the inquiries, they just never even get back to me. And I, I used to put like 
try and put a system and a strategy of responding. And I thought I could do anything I want. Once I hit the price, they're gone. And the serious people will send me that inquiry or they'll call because they're ready to go. And, and, and most of my clients are professionals and they, they want me because of my experience and they actually read through the site because they do their research before – because it's kind of a serious thing. You have to connect with that person. You have to trust them and you have to have faith in them. And, uh, and I'm pretty good with people one-on-one. -on -one. Well, well, you need that vibe and, and even in terms of the website. I, mean, I, I think it, it surely requires a lot of thinking to make it – that the vibe even from the website comes off as something that's going to lead further. You know, you can be business-like, can be, can be straight and can be business-like, but you need to, I don't know, a, a slight personal touch, slight... It's strategy, you know. It, business market is so competitive, and a lot of people don't realize, I mean, so many people fail. Websites now, you're competing against people that have been in digital marketing for years and if you're the little guy and you can't afford the big site it's not just the design of you know the cosmetic design it's how do you get people to stay on that page more than 10 seconds in, in today's uh, click uh, click clicky world clickbait world if you will that's not easy to maintain as people's focus you know what i mean absolutely and uh so that's a really competitive i mean Today, if you don't have an internet presence, you're finished. And years ago, when I had my schools, your advertising was in the phone book, and you didn't hardly reach anybody. And if you didn't spend five hundred to two thousand a month, you were behind. So a lot of people don't realize how advantageous the internet is, and they can, you know, they can start a business and get a decent site. But it's all a process. It's just a lot of work. I mean, you compete against people that run ten and twenty thousand dollar campaigns on Google uh, pay per click, and and Google has pretty much made it to where you kind of kind of need to be on page one. No, of <laughs> and, course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you only have four or five organic spots on page one because the rest are advertising and maps. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I mean, I I, I remember. It, it's so amazing that you that you say that because as someone who grew up with um, like I was a teenager when when the internet came into play, if you will, and I just remember that was amazing to you. You wanted to stay on, well, you know, Alta Vista or whatever it was called back then, and look look at it for hours and hours. And today, as you say, you you have that small amount of time to get people's attention and you need to be up front you need to be front and center otherwise they're five clicks you know you know further in their browsing history that day which is really amazing how the speed of it has all changed like you you need to be ahead of the curve if you will but you but you seem to be doing a good job man and uh mobile friendly yes and you can have a piece of junk site and spend a thousand or five thousand or whatever on Google pay per click because you don't want to take them to a site that looks like a kid made it. So if you're going to spend that money, you better have a really well designed site that is functional and gets your message across immediately. <laughs> and really, again, it plays into the fact that uh, you you were you were never content of doing 
just one thing and realizing again by the age of 23 that well I'm, I'm done I've made it and I'm just gonna sort of surf this this way forever and ever no and that's if anyone takes anything away from this chat is that uh, it, it is that uh, that you need to be focused and evolve and sometimes you sort of naturally do it all to a, to a slight degree without thinking of it. You, If you focused and structured and have a passion for something, you do evolve with the times as well. It requires this conscious focus and maybe subconsciously you are achieving that forward momentum at the same time as well. Yeah, I've had quite an experience in my life working in different fields and this is kind of what I know you wanted to talk about then and now. And, uh, you know, when I was in LA, I managed uh, a strip, a couple strip clubs, one predominantly for Buffalo. So I kind of picked up that skill. And then I actually went to kind of work and investigate the partner in Hawaii for a while. Then when I went back to Ohio, <clears throat> I worked in a couple of the top clubs managing in Cleveland. It was just kind of like fall into it. Then I came back out here to Vegas after my school flooded from a guy that had a club here. And I worked for him for a short time and he knew somebody that I knew and he had asked me. And it was like two weeks after the flood. And I, that's how I ended up out here. But <clears throat> a fellow that trains with me that's a writer and I've always had this idea way back from <clears throat> when I worked in L.A. because nobody's really done. Uh, there was that one movie, Striptease, about that industry. And there is so much corruption <laughs> in that business. And I really learned what it was like when I got out here because this is <clears throat> really, really a different world in a 24-hour town. And <clears throat> everything's a hustle here. So that was my concept was to do and utilize this as real life events um, because the real life events I had in that you tell somebody and they go, man, <clears throat> I never knew that happened. I was always afraid in those places. Uh, just the hustle and how the money spins from all the way around the club and you can't stay out of stuff or you won't be in a job it's there in front of you and that's the kind of stuff i want to utilize it is is a film about actually going into a club and uh kind of a physical background but going into a into the back into that business to pretty much expose a big uh prostitution corruption uh human trafficking and this is kind of the stuff that happens in that. Uh, and just what goes on from the time a customer from maybe a big casino literally calls. He's already marked. Him and his crew are marked from <laughs> the time they're picked up. And the tipping series already starts. Kickbacks already start from the limo drivers that pick them up. But it's very, very interesting. I've never talked to anybody about that that isn't like, man, you've got some serious stories. And uh, and that comes from a, a number of clubs, but it, it's really big here, really, really big. Uh, I, I think, you know, you have to have something good. You have to have something that people want. You can't just, just have fight scenes. 
but I think that would be a much easier sell because of the interest in, in, uh, kind of, uh, wow, what's that? <laughs> what do they do there? The questions that a lot of people have, I mean, that industry, people will come in sometimes and spend $30,000 and they may spend that and not realize it. And they probably didn't spend it and, and they might tip a lot more than, than they were supposed to. But, uh, uh, there's a lot involved in that, and I have uh, more stories than I could ever remember, but the concept would be the, about the character and coming back into that, who was actually a martial artist and, and had a kung fu school. And some of it's kind of actually real, you know. Yeah, there's certainly nuance that you can bring to it, um, having had first-hand accounts of, uh, of certain things, which is... You know, research is great, but when you have experienced it, it takes on a different form, I suppose. So, sure. Uh, and just, you know, like I'm seeing how many, you know, the, the the Netflix and with all these other channels, they seem to be fairly hungry for stuff. Oh, yeah. There's a new Netflix thing every day when you, when you, turn, when you turn on Netflix, like the latest uh the latest netflix produced show and now facebook wants to do it amazon is already doing it so i mean it's it's a wide wide mouth wanting content yeah it's the um putting it together the financing and probably a trailer is the beginning part uh to to get the ball rolling so i'd love to have somebody that went through the process but i'll i'll just have to figure it out and hopefully find somebody but uh i have enough of understanding about what it is and and when i like you said i started seeing the market and just the films that were are on there i mean there so many people now make movies and they're total unknowns but it's acceptable where years ago they couldn't make one without a star now you know with all these channels to load up they just start loading them up with stuff and I think if it takes off and people give them a thumbs up, then they just roll with it. And uh, you kind of have to make your own career, you know, if you Warner Brothers doesn't call. <laughs> exactly. And and all of that uh, is a nice little, it is a leap off point for you into creativity. And uh, But I wanted to track back and uh, sort of conclude that chat. Uh, we, we've been talking about uh, your business and uh, what you do and so, so forth. So as the guest of honor, you obviously uh, get to plug your business as well. So the floor is yours, Don, uh, in terms of plugging uh, names and URLs uh, out there on the web. Well, my trainer business is irontrainer.co. I have to rearrange my Nitro Kick site. Um, I really haven't fooled or pushed with that because I have DVDs, and you know, pretty soon DVDs are going to be non-existent. I think. Yeah, um, very much so. But I have my, uh, which used to be my trainer site, donnyam.com. I kind of started for undefeatable and acting, and I, you know. Only so much you can work on your own stuff, but I want to start writing blog articles about just a little bit about everything and maybe some of the stuff that we're going to be doing, you know, just as uh, an introductory and marketing that they would do with anything and spark a little interest. Well, you well you have that naturally in you, so I, so I think that that's never a waste of time to put so to, yeah. to jot down some words because, as you said, that's a spark that could be a spark, and 
could add clarity and nuance to uh, to what you're doing as well. Excellent. Well, I think um, I'm done on my end, so to say. So I want to thank you very, very much for for taking the time, Don, and to uh, share as openly as you have. And uh, it's um, you know the stories are known, but uh, because you, you've done interviews before and so forth. But I hope uh, certainly our listeners got a little insight into uh, because the network, the podcast on Fire Network, yeah, we we cover a lot of Godfrey's movies from the past and so forth. So I hope uh, those into God- Godfrey's ninja movies get a kick out of it because sometimes Godfrey is not really viewed as a filmmaker he's just a guy who made 10 minutes of ninja action stuff for all those Richard Harrison movies and then he was done but we we talk of a Godfrey that had moved on from that and started making full movies again and uh, was uh, in our eyes a competent filmmaker and it's due to you, due to John, due to Cynthia, due to Godfrey and the behind the scenes crew that made a movie like Undefeatable, you know, it, it has a life. It has a, a great shelf life that isn't, uh, in my view, going away anytime soon. And uh, thank God for the internet, huh? Yeah, and I think, I mean, I'm really serious, and I've had a lot of thought on this. It's uh, obviously it's easier when you're a little bit younger, but I'm kind of really preparing myself physically, which for me helps me mentally, you know, both ways, mental and physical, they, they go hand in hand, they tie together. But obviously, I always feel better when I'm physically more capable and stronger and look better. And as you get older, and you can maintain that, that in itself seems to be fairly impressive to people. Sure. I've done sure. it all my life. I do feel that it's a lot harder now, you know, it's a lot harder to put so many different things together. Uh, but actually the fellow that, that's writing this, he worked on, uh, he was a production assistant on martial law. Right on, right on. They are. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he's got it in his blood. It's just everybody in that town in LA, you know, most of them pretty much moved there to be in the, the business of in some fashion or another. But you you got to have a day job and you you have to juggle both. But now I lately just because of what I see out there and what people tell me about and how it's still literally growing, I think it's just more and more people that I had no idea like it all the time. And I, I keep thinking. So if I take something else and put it together, it's going to enhance undefeatable even more because you yourself out there just like you and uh some of these other podcasts and i had another one out of australia contact me about doing one you know i don't really use twitter much but it seems to be kind of a networking thing for film and music and uh, a lot of the people that do podcasts uh, because that kind of gave me visibility just setting up a simple twitter site which i really don't fool with much i can only do so many of these social medias and uh uh i'm i'm really it gets me feeling (laughs) alive again (laughs) you know because when you have always you've always existed through teaching martial arts and a passion and being known for and then you don't do that you go hmm i kind of need to have that passion and feel that energy and boost to do something I really want to do. And unfortunately, 
with seeing Netflix and seeing how much is out there and how, how many movies are being made and how many people are just saying, let's make a movie, that it's just more doable now. So I think I have a really good story. I have a really good story and a very interesting one. And uh, if I can put something good together and catch some momentum, that uh, it could change a lot in my life. <laughs> Well, well, well. That's uh, as I said. I, I like the angle, and uh, there's certainly stories to be told. And I wish you all the best with that thing. Stay patient, I suppose. And uh, and by now you've learned that yeah. <laughs> things doesn't happen. Or things doesn't happen overnight. Just because you came up with with an idea on Tuesday, Netflix will be calling on Wednesday. Yeah. No, I know. Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for uh, having me here, and uh, we'll stay in touch. And that's actually the first I've said anything uh, about that was yours. Um, I really haven't talked about it on social media or anything, but I think it's time to start. It, and whatever I do, it just fuels me more. <laughs> Once you make a um, commitment out there, it makes you even more committed. So uh, we'll stay in touch and I'll keep you informed. There you are. What a kind, forward-thinking and forward-driven man who was kind enough to set aside some time, took down memory lane and to give us a glimpse of what the future might hold. So I hope you enjoyed it. Again, thank you very much to Don and Thank you, Mike Fury. And go to podcastonfire.com for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, including relevant links for the show and to our social media presences, including iTunes and so forth. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope you liked it. And I'm Kenny B, and we'll see you next time.